Welcome. I'm the RUF campus minister at Christopher Newport University. If you might be visiting here with us or wondering what RUF is, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and it is the denominational campus ministry of the PCA. There's now eight RUFs in Virginia, which is great. CNU, we are in our fifth year there, which is exciting. And uh, RUF is, a, is basically the best way to think about it is we are you going to the campus. We're an arm of the church. We're all ordained PCA ministers, and our full-time job is to be on campus loving and counseling students. So you can think about me kind of like a missionary in your backyard going to reach that campus. That kind of helps. And then, but part of, my, part of my job is coming and filling pulpits and uh, giving your sweet pastor a week off because we all know he needs it. And so it's my great honor and privilege in the Lord to be here with you. I do want to give you a quick update on what's going on at CNU. Like I said, we're in our fifth year. Uh, some big news in the Latham household that you may not be aware of. Some of you may, but may not. This is actually my last semester at CNU. I've accepted an offer to become the new Director of Admissions and Recruiting at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so Mike Kruger called me up, and uh, he's a man that I love and respect. He baptized my son. I was his intern when I was in seminary, and Mike's one of those guys that when he calls, you listen. And so he called me up and asked if I would consider, and I said yes. And, but part of my job will also be to continue to preach and teach. And actually, you'll be in my area. Southern Virginia will be in my area, so I may have to come back and bug you sometime, which would be great. But we're really excited because we'll be able to move closer to our family. That's been kind of the biggest thing for us, just being so far away. This will put my sister lives in Charlotte. My family, my parents live two and a half hours away. And my wife's parents will live eight hours away instead of 16 hours away. So we're really excited about it. Terrified. Pray for our, I spent this whole last week fixing the house up. I didn't even know. You don't know how much trim you have until you have to paint it. And then I have like carpal tunnel from painting trim. So just pray that our house would sell, uh, you know, quickly and for a fair price and that the Lord would just be with us as we try to just finish up the semester. We've actually found my replacement at CNU. I'm not at liberty to kind of explain that yet because he hasn't formally, the process hasn't formally gone through. He's a good guy though. He's a good guy and he's actually an alum of CNU. So as far as just a fit, he knows that campus better than I do. And he's from Northern Virginia which is where most of our students are coming from. So in the Lord's plan, he's the right guy. I was the stubborn southern guy to get it off the ground. He will hopefully be the guy that the students will connect with better uh, to just continue to carry that ministry forward. So just please pray for us that as we kind of land the plane on this semester and with RUF and just all that transition stuff and blah, blah, blah. But in the meantime, I'm here. And I don't know if I'll have a chance to come back and be here before my time in RUF is over. And so, you know, this is, this is a sweet time. I've always loved this church, and it has always been my great joy to come uh, down here. And I'm not lying. I'm not just saying that to be nice. I legitimately love coming here. I really, really do. And um, so, okay, with all that said, we're going to look at Revelation 22, the very last, last chapter of the Bible. If you don't know where Revelation is, just go all the way to the end. Flip a couple pages back. Revelation 22. We are going to read the closing words of the Bible. So in many ways, it's like kind of fitting. If this is my last shot with you, what do I want you to hear? I want you to hear the gospel. And I think the closing words of the Bible are pretty well fitting. And we're going to read the entire chapter. So take a deep breath. Take Swallow hard. Yes, we're going to do that. That's okay. But before we do that, I just want to 
set it up in our minds a little bit. This is all built into the time for you scorekeepers. Okay, but have you ever, you ever gone through a time in your life when your heart just kind of felt dry and desolate? You just kind of felt distant? Kind of felt maybe hard? You just don't really feel the joy of the Lord in your heart? Just kind of feel dry and desolate? Shakespeare wrote in Richard III famously that uh, it was the winter of our discontent. Maybe that was for you this past winter as the snow just kept coming, the winter of our discontent. February is a hard month. I think for everybody it's a hard month for me. So I'm, I'm glad we've turned the corner there. And you may have heard of this place. It's called Death Valley. It's actually the uh, hottest, driest place in America located in California near the Nevada border. And the temperatures there consistently beat 125 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer. I do not even have a concept for how hot that is. And the average rainfall is two inches per year. And by comparison, kind of Newport News, kind of our area is like in the mid-40s of inches per year. Newport News is 46 inches a year on average. And basically, Death Valley is a hot, sandy, rocky wasteland that's known for extremes. But in, in 2005, something really amazing happened. Uh, almost seven inches of rain fell in a really short period of time. You can imagine this place usually gets two inches of rain. So in just a span of just a few short days, three times plus some, the average rainfall fell in Death Valley. And then, as if that wasn't strange enough, something even stranger happened right after that, because not soon after, the floor of Death Valley was carpeted in a thick stand of colorful wildflowers. Up to you about your knees. You can go online and look at pictures of this. Death Valley covered in flowers. So you think desert, all of a sudden, flowers everywhere. Crazy. And the thing about it is that as the scientists were kind of thinking about what was going on there, they, some of them thought that the, some seeds had waited 30 years for just the right amount of moisture to get there so that they could spring to life. And what it showed was that Death Valley was actually not dead at all. It was just dormant. That life was just under the surface waiting to erupt when the right conditions were met. It's, Death Valley wasn't dead. It's just dormant, just waiting for the right conditions. Life was just right there, waiting to erupt, ready to erupt. And as we look at the final chapter of Revelation and the final chapter of the Bible this morning, I want us to think about what would happen if our dry hearts were to be showered by the grace of God. What, it, what dormant seeds have been waiting to bloom in your heart? How would your life look different if God caused a carpet of wildflowers to cover the dry, rocky places in your life with the beauty of the gospel? How would your life be changed if suddenly the grace of God were to carpet and cover over those dry, rocky spots? What would that look like? Many people are afraid of the book of Revelation because they think that it, it mostly resembles Death Valley. That it's this rocky dry place, all this wrath, all these crazy visions going on. I think a couple times I was here before, we looked at the, the dragon eating the baby and talked about the war that we're all, spiritual warfare. You know, those people are afraid of the book of Revelation because they think it resembles Death Valley. But as we'll see through all those visions of wrath and judgment, the seeds of redemption were just under the surface waiting to bloom. The book of Revelation, and indeed the whole Bible, actually ends with an eruption of life. An eruption of life. And that's what we're going to see here in this passage. So let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. Revelation 22, 
the whole thing. Buckle up. Here we go. This is the, the word of the Lord. It's also printed in your bulletin if you need that. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city also. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Of, of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay every, everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and I'm very thankful for that. Let's pray as we approach this text. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to your word expectant. We ask that you would work in our hearts. We ask that you would receive glory. Lord, wake up our tired, distracted hearts. Help us to see your great love and your mercy. Help us to leave changed here this morning. Even in just some small way, Lord, help us to grow closer to you as we see ourselves more clearly, but ultimately see you more clearly. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in 1798, a famous poem was written by a man named Samuel Taylor Coleridge, and it was entitled, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And that's when that was first published. And the poem is written from the perspective of an old sailor who's kind of looking back on his life and he recounts his story. And he tells the story of the ship that was surrounded by ice, but then this albatross appeared and helped them navigate the waters and find better wind. Maybe this is kind of kicking in your brain a little bit. 
But after finding warmer waters, for some strange reason, the mariner decides to shoot the albatross. And soon after, the ship gets stalled in the middle of the ocean. And he's forced by his crew to wear the dead albatross around his neck to try to regain favor from the spirits of the ocean. Maybe you've heard somebody say, it's like an albatross around my neck. That's where it comes from. But the ship is cursed, and soon everyone but the mariner dies of dehydration. And there's this famous line in this poem where he's looking out, and he says, Water, water everywhere, and not a drop to drink. It refers to being surrounded by an ocean of undrinkable salt water and still dying of thirst. You're in the midst of the ocean, but you can't drink a bit of it. And I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, life feels like this most of the time. We look around and we're surrounded by an ocean of relationships and material possessions and achievements and stuff. But they all feel like drinking salt water because the thirst never goes away. And life ends up feeling flat and gray and dull and nothing really satisfies us. And so we frantically search for anything that will temporarily mask the deepest thirst of our hearts. There's a rock musician, John Mayer, who wrote a song a while ago. There's just one line that always stuck with me. The name of the song is called Something's Missing. And the line that had just kind of lodged behind my skull has been, he says, how come everything I think I need always comes with batteries? It's like how true that is. The, the shiny stuff. We think we need the iPad. I got to have the car. I got to have this. I got to have that. And at the end of the day, the batteries go out and we get tired of it a week later and Move on to the next thing. Isn't that the way our life kind of works? We're frantically searching for anything that will temporarily mask the deepest thirst of our hearts. It's why we're addicted to our phones and social media. It's why we're addicted to the approval of others. It's why we can't stop exercising or worrying about our body image. It's why we can't stop studying or working all the time. It's why we can't stop looking at appropriate images on the internet. It's why we can't stop buying stuff or surfing the web wishing that we could buy stuff. It's why we can't stand the thought of being alone. It's why we get crushed when we don't get invited to join a certain group. The deep, uh, all our hearts are kind of scurrying around looking for this thing that's finally going to complete us. But yet at the end of the day, the words of St. Augustine ring so true to us where he said, Lord, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. There's a ton of stuff in this passage that we could talk about this morning, but I want to keep it really, really simple because that's just kind of how I roll. And so these are our two points we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the dry well we look to, number one, and then the river God offers. So kind of a contrasting thing. The, the dry well we look to and the river God offers. Those are going to be our two points. Let's look at that first point, the dry well that we look to. Have you ever seen something? Have you ever seen anybody attempt something so stupid that you just had to watch? You know, or like there, you see them like maybe up. I remember when I was in college, we would go to this rock quarry that had filled up with water and we'd jump in off that. If you haven't done that, it's really fun, by the way. But there was, there was kind of the like normal jump and then there was the really, really high jump. And you would watch the guy like claw his way up there and the whole time, like, you're going, this could either really be awesome or this could be really, really bad. And he does that. And he jumps off, and you just can't look away because it's something so stupid. You know, like, it's the, the old redneck phrase, hey, y'all watch this. 
you know, famous last words, where you've seen somebody do something where you just can't look away because it's just so dumb, and you find yourself saying, what are they thinking? What could possibly go through their mind to make them want to do that? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, I saw somebody this morning driving on the way here, going across Mercury Boulevard, which is a six-lane highway, just sauntering across six lanes of traffic, just right in the middle of it. It's crazy. We call it the Mercury Shuffle in Newport News. It's normal. You're driving around, it's 55 miles an hour, and somebody just walking like they're walking in the park. You're like, you're crazy. Here's a, here's a couple of verses from Jeremiah 2, 12 to 13. They read, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utter, utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What this passage is doing is the Lord is speaking to the universe and asking it to be shocked at us. Look at what they're doing. They've turned their backs on me and they're trying to dig their own well instead of taking the living water that I'm offering them. Be shocked, O heavens. Be appalled. Look at what these people have done. They're trying to do it themselves. Notice how this passage starts off here in Revelation in verses 1 and 2. We get this image of the river of life flowing from God's throne and the tree of life on either side where it says this, the, the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit in each month. And this is a direct reference to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2 but with one key difference. As you, you may or may not know, the first two chapters and the last two chapters of the Bible kind of mirror each other. The Bible comes full circle. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22 are kind of mirror images of each other. You can't understand one without the other. And the Bible comes full circle. And what we see here is the Garden of Eden had the river of life and it had the tree of life, but it also had what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the second tree. The one that God forbid Adam and Eve to eat from. And why did Adam and Eve eat from this specific tree and cause all kind of sin and brokenness to enter into the world? Romans 5 talks about that. Their sin is our sin and they messed it up for all of us. But what led them to do that? Satan creeps into the garden and lies to them and tells them that God really doesn't love them. You know, he's just hiding, he's just keeping stuff from you. If, if he really loved you, He'd want you to be like him. He's just afraid that you're going to be like him. He doesn't really love you. So they ate the apple. And this led them to doubt God's goodness, and they decided to start digging their own well. And when that first shovel full of dirt hit the ground, it sent a shockwave through creation. And it's the reason why we're all so spiritually thirsty today. There's nothing new under the sun. Humanity was expelled from the garden and the way back to the tree of life was blocked. And from that point forward, up until now, the hearts of humans have been searching for a way back into the garden. But the way has been blocked by sin and rebellion. So, that, so the Garden of Eden that God built for humanity was replaced by Death Valley. And the landscape went from green and fruitful to rocky and dry. And the problem is that we have never known life without the curse of Genesis 3. It's always been a part of our landscape. We have no idea what, it, what it's like to walk in a world free from sin. We have no idea what it feels like to have a heart that is fully open to the Lord and doesn't keep secrets. 
We have no idea what that feels like. To not be frustrated and angry and worried and sad. It's just always been a part of our life. We don't know what it's like to live any way different. And so we try to create our own little Garden of Eden on earth by digging our own wells. And we look to sex and money and prestige or our GPA or our achievements, our comfort, whatever it'll be, that'll finally be the thing that will satisfy us. But in the end, we just end up tired and worn out from digging all the time. We're digging out our own cistern and we just end up worn out. And we strive so hard to create perfection for ourselves apart from God. But in the end, we're only left with a dry hole in the ground, which is what Jeremiah 2 said. Look at what they're doing. And what's that look like? What's it look like to dig your own well? What's it look like to dig your own cistern? You feel left out. And so you double your efforts to try to earn your way in. Maybe you feel like somebody's disappointed in you, and so you double your efforts to try to prove yourself to them. You feel like nobody loves you, and so you turn into a social chameleon, and you change with every single group, hoping that finally one of those groups might accept you and say, yes, we want you. You feel like God is disappointed in you, maybe, and so you double your efforts to prove yourself to Him through your religious performance or zeal. We all do it in different ways. We feel like something's missing in our hearts, and we strive so hard to try to fill it. And instead of tasting the cool water of grace, you only drink the salt water of your own sweat and toil from digging your own well, and it's misery. The Shorter Catechism asks the question, into what estate did the fall bring mankind? And the answer is, the fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. That's what it's like. It's a life of digging your own well and trying really hard. And you think maybe this next shovel full will call this, cause the spring to come up. And in the end, it's just a dry hole in the ground. The big question is, why in the world would you want to spend your life slowly killing yourself, digging a dry well when God is telling you exactly where an abundance of living water is located? That's the second point. The river God offers. Nice and simple. Notice the source of this river, verse 1, the throne of God. It's coming from Him. The river of life finds its spring under the throne of God. It's like going back and finding where does the Mississippi River start? Where does the Ohio start? Where do the, it starts with a little spring. Where does, the, where does the start of the river of life, where does it start? The throne of God Himself. And watch how the curse of Genesis 3 is reversed in this passage. Look in verse 2 where the tree that led to death is now replaced by a tree of life. We've got two trees of life. Verse 3, everything that is cursed is removed and it's hiding and hiding behind fig leaves is replaced by worship. Verse 4, God's face is no longer hidden. He places his name on his people. You are mine. Sharpie marker forever to the face. You are my people. And I love you. I'm placing my indelible stamp upon you because you are mine. You're my flock and I put my mark on you. Look at what happens in verse 5. Darkness is eliminated and the whole city is filled with God's glory. The effulgence of divine splendor is the seminary phrase for that. Basically what it means is you don't need a sun anymore because the holiness of God is so bright there are no shadows in the city. Do you know what it's like? Have you ever felt that tinge in the back of your mind when you're walking back late at night 
maybe back from the mall, back in a parking garage, and you have this tinge in the back of your mind. I wonder if somebody's lurking in the shadows. You ever heard a sound downstairs and you wonder what in the world just happened? And the instinct is, <gasps> what would it be like to live in a world that that is a distant memory? That's the hope of Revelation 22. There are no shadows in the city of God. There's no creepy places. There's no scary places. It's rest, free from anxiety. The picture we get is of gar the Garden of Eden being reopened to God's people and the tree of life that brings healing and sustenance is accessible again. But there's still a condition for entry and access and that's verse 14. Verse 14 reads, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Only those who have washed their robes are granted access to the tree of life and the holy city of God through the open gate. But what are the robes washed in? It says you've got to have a washed robe. Okay, what's it washed in? Hebrews 10, 19 to 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith that our hearts, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." They're washed in the blood of Christ. Y'all, Jesus hung on the tree of death so that you could eat from the tree of life. God hid his face from his son on the cross so that you could see his smile. Jesus drank the river of God's wrath so that you could drink of the river of life that's promised here. Jesus went through death valley so that flowers could bloom in your life and your heart again. That's the good news of the gospel. There's this great passage in, in Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening on November 6th. There's this little, it gives you a, like a morning reading and an evening reading. And the one from November 6th kind of hit this right on it. Here's what Spurgeon wrote. He said, are you, conscious, are you conscious also that you are barren like the dry ground? Then here is exactly the promise which you need. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. You shall receive the grace you so much require, and you shall have it to the utmost of your needs. All the riches of divine grace you shall receive in plenty. You shall be, as it were, drenched with it. And as sometimes the meadows become flooded by the bursting rivers and the fields are turned into pools, so you shall be, the thirsty land shall be the springs of water. Hang with me, I'm almost done. You might be discouraged because the last 12 months of your life may have resembled Death Valley more than the river of life in Revelation 22. You may look back over the past year and it just looks rocky and dry and dusty and hard. We've all been there. I have too. Maybe your life looked like that. We all face disappointments and suffering and shame and isolation. We've all had days when our hearts and our lives just feel dry and it's hard to find hope when our lives feel like the desert, right? You just feel like you're trudging over yet another sand dune. Where's the water? Here's the gospel, though. The good shepherd walks with us in those dry desert places of our lives. When it feels rocky and dry, 
there's another set of footsteps there with you. And our Lord Jesus walks in the midst of us as our good shepherd. He walks with us, leading us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, leading us to the still water. Because one day when Jesus returns, which is what this is about, life is going to return to the death valley of our fallen world. Could you imagine that? Abundant life will return to the material world we enjoy so much. All this that God created and declared it good, it's not going to get crumpled up and thrown in the trash can. It's going to be remade new. Behold, I'm making all things new. What's that look like? All the pain, all the bad memories, all the shame, all the guilt that feel like an albatross around our necks are going to be replaced with an ocean of grace. The salt water of our sweat and toil and misery is going to be replaced with a river of life. Can you imagine that? Instead of water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. It's going to be grace, grace everywhere and an eternity to drink. That is the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. That's why we slug it out in the Trantwood Elementary Gymnatorium. Why the church? Because we point to the river of life. How do we know that God is going to keep his end of the bargain? It's right here. He proved it already. That he's a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, and he's true to his word. And how do we know that? It's right here, folks, and we're about to be reminded of it yet again. Where is your true hope this morning? Are you tired of being thirsty? Are you tired of having a dry, rocky heart? Let's close by reading verses 17 and then verses 20 and 21. If you're like me sometimes and you get tired of a dry, rocky heart, i got some good news for you. It's right here. Verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's free. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. I hope so. Amen, come Lord Jesus. Is that not our prayer? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good word. Thank you that you love us and you care for us. Thank you that you don't shy away from us, but that you move towards us. Lord, we've all experienced times when our hearts just feel dry and desolate. And Lord, we pray that by the power of the Spirit that you would cause life to bloom in them again. Help us to have tender hearts to those around us. Help us to be tender with our families, tender with our co-workers. Lord, help us to... Be a people, Father, who overflow with the joy. Not by anything that we've done, but because you've been so good to us. And Lord, we pray that you would take just the effects of the curse. We're all broken and busted up. And Lord, help us to find our deep, lasting hope in the fact that you're coming again and you're going to make it all right. And that we can find grace and mercy in our time of need. And that you're not standing there shaking your head in disappointment, asking us why we can't be like our big brother or our big sister. But yet, Lord, you say you are mine, and you have written your name upon our heads and our hearts. And Lord, you've called us to follow you. 
So Lord, we trust you as our good shepherd and we're thankful that you walk with us. And Lord, help us to love and reach out to those around us. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.